Well, we are concluding our He Said, She Said series. And so if you're joining us for the first time, welcome and happy Mother's Day. If you have been here the entire time that we've been doing this series, I hope that one thing that you have captured from Mike and I is that really in our relationship, in our marriage, personally, even with our family, with our children, that we really just want to be authentic and real and transparent with you because communication is hard, marriage is hard, raising children is equally hard. Okay, don't take offense to that or anything. Um, But we brought them up here today not because we're like the Von Trapp family singers. um, Branson show something. Yeah, definitely. We We don't have our matching sequence vest or anything like that up here today. Um, we're just kind of like a real family. And the thing is, is we kind of realized, I think, a year ago when Jordan left. She's back home for college. just got home a few days ago. But we launched her out of our house um, a year ago. And when that happened, there was this, like this highlight reel. Nobody warned me that it was going to happen. But there was this highlight reel that went through my mind of everything, everything I'd ever said, everything I'd ever done, things I wish I would have said, wish I could have a do-over, you know, things like that. And so... What I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you guys some questions, and they know what I'm going to ask them, but this is not edited or rehearsed necessarily, giving them complete freedom to answer freely these questions. And so, Jordan, you packed up last year, and you packed a lot of things. Full car. A full car, a full car and a full van worth of stuff. But one thing I want to ask you is um, what did you pack? What did you take? What did we transfer to you? What did we do right that you took with you, that you say, hey, mom, dad, this is what you did well that I'm going to carry with me. I think something that I learned in our family that I want to carry over to my family was there was always um, a safety and a security. So I could always come to either one of them emotionally if I had problems and not be judged. And they were there for me. And it's always, there's always a security. And so I know that I could always come back to you guys if I needed to. All right. And Caleb, how many days until you leave? 49. <laughs> I can't even go there. I'll start crying. 49 days, and um, you're, we're, we're launching you out in this world. And so I know it's not really a fair thing to be able to look back and say, boy, I'm glad I had this. But as you're leaving, what would you say? I'm really glad this is what you guys did that I'm taking with me. Well, you guys were always proud of all of us, and we never had to earn your pride or your love. It was something that you always told us, um, that you guys were just proud of whatever we did, whether we lost the peewee soccer game or struck out at bat or lost our lines or whatever it was. It's just you guys were proud of us working hard and proud of us having fun in what we were doing. All right. You're stuck. Yeah. Six more years, bud. Actually, we haven't told you, but we're not going to let you grow up and leave. Always the baby. Always got to have a place at home. All right, so you're kind of in the center, okay? You're still experiencing mom and dad and and everything, but what would you say, from your perspective right now, 12 years old, what would you say, mom and dad, this is is good. This is what what I like. This is what you're doing well. Um, Well, you guys uh, promised that you guys wouldn't divorce. Like, I'm not just saying, God, we promise. But I'm saying that uh, you promised us, you promised people, you promised God that you guys will not divorce. You, might get, you guys might get in fights, but you guys will not divorce. may kill each other, but we will not, <laughs> yeah. divorce. not divorce. So you feel pretty secure in that, then. Yes. gives you insurance. All right. Okay, well, we're going to flip it, okay, because this is fair. Because nobody in here is a perfect parent. We're not perfect parents. You guys aren't perfect parents. You guys won't grow up and be perfect parents, Okay. 
So to be fair here, I'm going to ask you, and you can be honest and real and authentic, what did we do wrong? What do you look at, Jordan, now that you look back and you say, you know what, I really wish you would have done this, or I wish you wouldn't have done this, you know, what do, what you do want, we not like do the well? list, or? The list. Just the list. pick one. We don't have enough time for the list. We still put gas in your car. We'll, we'll pay for counseling for that. Okay, uh, okay. Well, I think um, one of the things is growing up as a teenager um, and having my own, like, spiritual problems, my own emotional problems, um, I think a huge thing that would have helped me was you guys didn't really see from my perspective. It was kind of you guys had your emotional tension and you're overwhelmed and you're impatient with me. And so I felt like I was alone. And you guys almost were um, giving me what you thought that I needed. But it's not what I needed because you guys weren't seeing from my perspective. And as a child, we are supposed to submit to you guys. But I also agree that as parents, you're supposed to see from our perspective and be there for us, us and encourage us. Super. Be more understanding than yeah. trying to put a square peg into a round hole. Basically. Yeah. Okay. All right. You do still have 49 days, son. So be careful. <laughs> no, seriously. I mean, what would you say? How would you fill in that blank? Well, kind of playing off what Jordan was saying, I feel like that you guys could have been um, a little harsh sometimes and may have overreacted to a certain situation. Are you situation. kidding me? We... <laughs> And so then we, uh, we, start, we start arguing more about arguing instead of arguing about the problem. And now you have two problems on hand, and it's just harder to solve. All right, Josh. <laughs> Are you going to go with new ammunition? Are you going to uh, stand I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you guys would be probably like a perfectionist. Like if I cleaned up my room and I left a sock in the floor, but I just passed over it. Okay, so let's say cleaner, cleaner, cleaner cleaner room, (laughs) and I just passed over the sock. You guys would get mad at that. I just felt like I had to live up to your perfectionist and all that. So you can't do anything right. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Taking notes. (laughs) No. This the the reason. And the thing is, is this conversation could continue, and this conversation could continue, and, and as they're leaving. This is what I want to do. I want, I want to challenge you guys. We, we wanted to do this because we want this to be a challenge to you. These are questions we would love for you to ask your kids. This conversation, what this does is it does a couple of things. Is it opens up a door, one, to see what you're transferring to your kids. So, for instance, um, Josh, who I really want him to clean up his room, and I want him to clean his room well. Okay, but I really don't want to communicate to him that I have some perfectionist standard. And so I need to back up, you know, and I need to revisit some things or the way and manner in which I'm communicating to him. Or if Jordan and Caleb think that we're being too harsh or impatient or not understanding, what that does is this opens up a door for me, the biggest door probably that we should walk through as parents to really take our heart and come before God and go, okay, God, you know what? There's, there's some truth to this. The words that fly off my mouth are too hard, the harsh, the tone that I'm using is, is too rough. You know, there's this anger, there's this impatience. God, where is this coming from? I need, I need you to transform my heart because what's going on inside of here is spilling over into them. And the, the whole thing, the reason we, we actually battled emotionally thinking through all of this, whether or not we'd have the kids up here on stage right up until this morning. And so that's how unrehearsed it was, just thinking through 
whether or not we wanted to expose ourselves to the unknown uh, and you to our, our, our closet but, or things like that. But just the realization comes over us is that we're all imperfect. We're all messed up. And we're going to be raising up another generation of messed up people. But hopefully we can get a few things right. Hopefully we can lean in and learn a few things and get a few things and nail it down. If we can get that right, then we can hopefully move forward in our broken world with our broken selves and put some pieces together. And find your Bibles, the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's by far one of the most influential passages in all of the Bible. Now I'm not not making that up because I'm sharing from it today. I'm literally believing that this is one of the most influential. It is by far one of the most influential parenting passages, if not the most important parenting passage out there. So just get that down. So we're going to the most important to learn from because one of the things that we see from from Scripture and from even our current reality is that we are one generation removed from Christianity being extinct. If I don't take the faith that I have and own, and I don't intentionally with great intentionality and with great great uh, plans, and, and if I don't pass that down, it will not go down. There are nations, Netherlands, Canada, there are nations that are literally identified by missiologists as there is not going to be in the next few years enough believers in, that, in those countries to sustain an ongoing church presence. Now, that's, that's, again, there's a lot to that to unpack, but I'll just say this. We're seeing in our day where Christianity in places like France and Netherlands and other places where it is totally going away. And I'll have to point to one thing. Not the only thing, but at least one thing that is causing that is the lack of transferring what we have been giving, what is hopefully transforming us. If we don't transfer what is transforming us, then it stops and it dies right there. How can we do that? How can we bridge that? So, you know, whenever we're, we're going through this, this process in Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're going to come across, you won't see it because it's a Hebrew word, but it's the word Shema. If you talk to anybody who is of the Hebrew culture, And you talk about the Shema, it means to hear. It was one of the central passages in the Hebrew faith that if we don't pass it on, if we don't intentionally do this, it'll be lost. So in in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, which is a very important passage of Scripture, uh, but then we go to chapter 6, verse 1 to follow along. And this is the commandments and the statutes and the rules of the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. Well, what is he talking about? He's talking about chapter 5. Chapter 5 are the Ten Commandments. Now, many of us would list the Ten Commandments as the most important passage of Scripture in the Bible. I want to beg to differ with you, all right, where it is absolutely the top ten commandments, not suggestions, but commandments, and that we should live our lives by and build a whole, our entire life off of. At the same time, chapter 6 enables us, helps us to know how to live chapter 5. Keep reading along with me. That you may do them, not just to be heard or thought of or learned or memorized, but that you would do those commandments in the land in which you're going to possess. That you may fear the Lord your God, that you and your sons, notice this next phrase, and your son's son, by keeping all the statutes and the commandments which I commanded you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. There is a command, a directional command 
with a promise that our days would be long, that we would pass it on from one generation to the next, that, that our sons' sons, and I may say sons' sons' sons, it's a generational thing that we would intentionally take what we heard in chapter 5, what we hear in the law, what we hear in the Bible, okay, all 66 books, let's bring it to the New Testament era, what we would hear there that we would make sure that the next generation got them. Now, as last year we said, we sent Jordan off to college, and this year we're sending our, our second one off to college. And last year was more of that epiphany moment for me whenever that came around. And I don't know what it was, what triggered it, but all of a sudden the realization that my daughter, my one and only daughter, is leaving and, and not going to come home ever again in the same fashion and, and, and will never, you know, is she ready? Can she balance a checkbook? Uh, can she check the oil in her car? Does she know what a dipstick is? Other than what I call somebody or something like that. You know, does she know how to check the tire pressure? Can she protect herself? So for graduation, I gave her a can of mace or a pepper spray. You know, I start True. thinking of all of these things that I want my child to go out into this world with. And I have to say, I may forget a few things, and I'm sure I have. And I'm a phone call away to hopefully try to get those into her or into Caleb. But, but here's one thing I don't want my child to leave. I don't want my child to leave home without a vibrant, without a reproducing, without a growing faith relationship with Jesus Christ. Because governments may topple. You may flunk out of college. You can put a probation or something like that. You, you may have all manner of things happen to you. But if I don't have a vibrant, growing Christian faith in me, I will not be able to handle these storms in a biblical, Christ-like manner. I will not be able to handle relationship breakups. I will not be able to handle the disappointing and the disillusionment of a college grade that I didn't think I would get. I will not be able to handle when I broke down on the side of the road. I must have a faith that energizes me. Now the question should come to all of us, how then do I get my child to have an energizing, reproducing, sustainable kind of faith? And I think what we have in the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6, I think what he does is he turns right around after saying, hey, all these statutes, all these commands, you need to obey them. He turns right around and he gives us some helpful ways, tips if you will, for parenting and being able to make sure we pass on this vibrant faith. I want to give you these tips real quickly. Number one tip, we need to learn, we need to practice, we need to exemplify God in your life. This is transformation, total transformation. But what we have so many times in our life is not total transformation. We have duplicity and hypocrisy. That's what we have, duplicity and hypocrisy. You know what hypocrisy is? It's when we, we gripe and complain about the sex and violence on our DVR. Think about it. You know, it, 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 it's, that, it's that double standard. It's that this is the church world, this is the church standard, but hey, you know, after all, Mike just doesn't live in reality. Or, you know, the Bible is just a little archaic. And what we do is we start getting this dual lifestyle. This church, God-living, God-talk lifestyle. And then we have this home lifestyle that's not in line with the other lifestyle. And let me tell you this. The greatest link in the chain for the faith being transferred to the children 
to the next generation, to the sons and the sons and the sons and the daughters and the daughters, is the parents. Not the church. Not an awesome children's program. Not a cool youth pastor with dynamic things happening all the time. Not a really cool pastor. Which it was. Amen. Amen. But really, what is going to be the link that will either make or break this generational transfer, again, from this generation to that transfer, to the next generation, will be mom and dad. Mom and dad. Hands down. Mom and dad. We have got to make sure, because what we'll do if we have duplicity and hypocrisy in our home, what that will produce is notional Christians. We will have children that will grow up and they will hear, Mom and Dad talk about God here, but when they're home they do something else. Mom and Dad uh, go on a mission trip, but, but whenever we are on vacation we live like this. They get this kind of dual lifestyle going on and that creates tremendous amount of tension and disconnect. We don't want to have that. We want to have a transforming faith. Transforming faith. If I have authenticity in my home, if I have authenticity in my home and I have something that really can, the, the, the kids can look at and there's congruency in my home, authenticity and congruency, that will produce a transforming kind of faith. Now, do I have that? Do you have that in your home? Because when you look at this passage, you find in verse 4 and 5, him telling us the saturation kind, the transforming kind of faith is found in verse 4 and 5. And this is what it it says, it says, uh, Hear, O Israel. That's the word uh, Shema, as we talked about. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, underscore the word heart, with all your soul, underscore the word soul, and with all your might. And I think you have to ask your question. Ask, ask, ask yourself a question. Do I have the transforming kind of faith that there's congruency and authenticity in my home so that my children are seeing and it's adding up and it's making sense and it's transforming me? Because then, then and only then, will they say, I want that. That's genuine. That's real. That's not fake. All right? So, and how does that happen? Total saturation. Where my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength, everything is being used and loving and being expressed to God. Here's three questions for you real quickly. One question is, am I transformed to the core? That, that's your heart. Am I being transformed to the core of who I am? That's that spiritual being inside of all of us. It's the part inside of us that, that when John, Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, he says, you must be born again. And pure and simple, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you been born again? Is He transforming your heart, the very core of who you are? Now sometimes for a lot of people that seems shallow. But I can tell you this, in Revelation it talked about, in Revelation it talks about God searching out the hearts of, of the church. And also in, uh, in, in Psalm 64 verse 6, He talks about this, the inward mind and the heart of man are deep. Is your heart, is, it, is God penetrating deep inside of you? The second question to ask yourself, am I emotionally healthy? Because you know what? And, and it's a life principle, and I didn't give it to you earlier. I'll give it to you now. We teach what we know, but we reproduce what we are. Let me say it to you again. I want you to write it down. We teach what we know. We reproduce what we are or who we are. Okay? Don't tell me what you know. 
Tell me how you're living. So if I am emotionally unhealthy, then guess what? I'm going to produce children that are going to be emotionally unhealthy. I've got to come back and I've got to say, am I healthy to the, to the soul of who I am? Let me read a statement to you. It says, ignoring our emotions and turning back to re, uh, on reality, listening to our emotions ushers us into reality. Reality is where we meet God. Emotions are the language of the soul. They are the cry that gives the heart the voice. However, we often turn a deaf ear through emotional denial, distor- uh, distortion, and dis- disengagement. We strain out everything or anything disturbing in order uh, or to gain tenuous control of our inner world. We are frightened and ashamed of what leaks into the consciousness in neglecting our intense emotions. We are false to ourselves. And, uh, to ourselves and lose the wonderful opportunity to know God. We forget that change comes through the brutal honesty and vulnerability before God. Are you healthy spiritually, emotionally? One more question is, is your body fully devoted to God? Now, I don't know how you express that. Our family is going to express that by getting on a plane this week and we're going to go and serve in an orphanage in, in the middle of Africa next week. And we're looking forward to Or two weeks from now, we'll end up leaving and being there. And it's going to be awesome for us. Maybe for you it's not in Africa in an orphanage. Maybe it's in a soup kitchen. Maybe it's being a foster parent. Maybe it's, being an or- uh, maybe it's helping out in orphan care ministry. I don't know. But is your life expressing love to God? Heart, soul, and with your might or your strength. Think about it. Well, and Moses tells him, he doesn't just stop there, though. He says that you're to love God and know God and that these things should be written on your heart. Okay, he didn't say your kid's heart first. He said they should be written on your heart. And then he turns around. And then he says, now teach these things to your children. So the first thing you do is you exemplify God. But then the second thing you do is you engrave God into their lives. Okay, the way I look at my kids is like concrete. <laughs> all right, not because they're hard-headed. Um, that just is genetics. All yeah, right? that's right. But I look at it as when I receive them as, you know, that when you pour concrete, it's just fluid. It's soft. It's moldable. And I have, and I don't think I realized it until we began launching our children, that I have a short window of opportunity to engrave into them the things that I want them to know. And one of the ways that I do that is really through the power of my words. In verse 7, if you look at it, it says, You shall teach them diligently to your children. So impress or engrave in them these commandments. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. So in other words, this is like a 24-7 gig if you had not figured it out yet as, as a mom and dad. It's not just when the baby cries at 2 in the morning. This is an ongoing spiritual training that should take place in your life. Now, some of you I know are probably sitting in this room and you're hearing what we're saying from different filters. One, you may have a child that has strayed away. Maybe you've got issues going on in your home and you're looking up here going, yeah, you've you've got your little, you know, McDaniel preacher perfect family happening. And and I can tell you right now that that is not necessarily the case. We've had our struggles. We've had our counseling sessions. We have had to walk this out and we have had to talk it out with the power of our words. I want to give you some myths that I know that go through people's heads because they've also gone through mine. One myth is, well, I can't teach them because I don't know. And the truth is, you teach them that, okay? 
this spiritual journey, maybe you're a new believer and you think, well, you know what, I don't really know a whole lot about God yet. I don't really know about... You know what? That's actually what you teach them. Your children in that openness and authenticity, watching you transform your faith right there and grow, will see that this spiritual journey is a process. Another myth is I can't teach it to them because I might mess it up. You know what? You probably will. All right? I already have. But that's also what you teach to them. If you pretend that you've got some fake it, put it together kind of spiritual journey, that will transfer to your kids also. But if you come to them with humility and forgiveness, they are going to learn grace and a God that is merciful, and they're going to watch you walk through that. Another myth is, well, no one really taught me, so I don't know how to teach them. That's what you teach. Okay, are you getting the point here? Okay, whatever Satan is putting in your head, well, I can't because, and fill in the blank, that's probably what you turn around and teach. You You become like a Gideon who says, you know what? The way my fathers lived, I'm tearing down these idols. My family is not, my next generation, They are. we are not going to live this way. And you communicate that openly to your kids. If you don't teach your kids what is right, then somebody else is going to teach them what they think is right. You get that? The thing is about this whole talking element is there's intentionality behind that. It's going to take some creativity with you as a parent. And it's going to look different in each family. For us, one of those things, the way we engage conversations works for us, and you could mold it how you want, is we have a, uh, we have a DVD player in our van. Thank God for those, you know. Sometimes just amen their salvation right there. But we have a rule um, that we have a Benton County... And Washington County ruled that when we're traveling in these two counties, the DVD player does not come on. Now, we're traveling kind of all over the place. For you, it may be the first 20 minutes in the car, okay? First 20 minutes in the car, DVD doesn't, player doesn't come on. But you're having conversations and you're talking. It creates an atmosphere then for you to explore with your children, to participate in questions. Let them ask you questions. And when they ask questions, do what Jesus did, as Mike talked about in the very first message. Turn around and ask them a question. So, for instance, if they say, you know, Jimmy's parents are, are getting a divorce and, you know, and they're telling you this story, then you ask them a question, you know, how, do, how does that make you feel? Let them tell you. They may ask, well, I don't know what to say to them. I might turn to my kids and say, well, what do you think you should say to them? Because you're going to begin to hear from their mouth what they've actually got and what you now need to speak into them that's missing. I may turn around and say, you know, mom and dad fight sometimes too. Do you get afraid that we're going to get divorced? And now we're going on a whole new deep level. But I've opened a door to teach them as we're walking on the road, as we're going through life together. And let me say this. Initiate the hard conversations with your kids. Sometimes we don't want to have those hard conversations with our kids. But if you're not having the hard conversations with your kids, somebody is having those hard conversations with their kids. So don't be afraid to initiate those. For me, kindergarten, elementary age, that was kind of, it was a little bit easier for me because I get two plus two when they come home from school and need help on the homework. I get the alphabet. I get learning to spell cat. Now, when we moved to the junior high phase um, and Jordan would bring home like the anatomy of a cell and we're trying to break it apart, I, some things are coming back to my memory, but I'm having to tell her, go get the book. I need, I need the book to help me out, right? Everybody follow me or am I the only idiot in my house? Okay, all right. But then in high school, you know, when they're coming home with, with the trig, you know, homework and the pre-calculus homework. And they're going, Mom, I don't understand this problem. I'm kind of going, don't ask me. They never <laughs> ask Dad, though. They never even bother. You know, I'm calling the tutor down the street who, like, has a master's in math, you know, or something like that. You know, I think, I think Moses got that. 
when he was saying, look, these things, I want you to teach it to your children. And we're feeling like a little overwhelmed with this, like, you know what, I can't, I can't do this. But I think he goes on and he says in verse 8 and 9, listen, bind them as signs on your hand. Put them on the frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Basically, it's this. It's not just what you say that's powerful, but it's also the power of your walk. Moses is saying, look, take these things, get to know them, get to know the word of God. When the Jews heard this, this was, Moses was speaking this, it was more metaphorically, all right, speaking. But what had happened is they got away from God, generation after generation after generation. And finally, when they come to their census, after they leave Babylonian captivity, they begin to take this literally. And so they made these phylacteries, these boxes, that they would put scriptures and tie them on their head. And they would take the mezuzah and they would put these scriptures and they would put it on their doorpost. Can I just sum it up like this? Listen, this is the filter on the doorpost. What comes in your house, what goes out of your house. On your foreheads, this is the front of your thinking. This is your mind. This dictates what you say. This is your behavior. And let me tell you, what you do, the power of your walk, your children will imitate. I remember we even have a photo of Mike mowing the backyard. And what was Caleb doing? And he's two years old in his little diaper, cute, cute, cute. And he's pushing the lawnmower right behind Mike. Why? Because he's imitating his walk. It's cute then. But does this ring a bell when now when your kids get older and you discipline them? And you say, you get onto them for something, they say, well, that's not what you did. Can I get an amen? Does that happen? That's not what you did. And what comes out of our mouth? Well, do what I say, not what I do. Right? The power of our walk transfers into our children. And what I want my kids to see is not a mom who's perfect, not a mom who's faking it and has it all together, but I want them to look into my life and say, you know what? I see my mom's weaknesses. But man, I see God transforming her faith and she's becoming strong. I see my mom sometimes in her brokenness. But man, I've learned that God is a healer and he is powerful. I see my mom in the word. You know what? It's not just a decorative book or a dust collector in my house. My walk to my children is contagious. Let me put it to you this way. Your faith at home will transfer into them whatever powerful transformation that is taking place in your faith while they are there. That's what they're going to take when they leave. The Israelites are getting ready to leave even at this point. They're getting ready to go into the promised land. And Moses is saying, hey, pack up these things. Take them with you and teach them to your kids. The transfer of our transformation is critical. And the third tip that I think is in this passage for a parent is that that we need to really learn and we need to make sure we're building in experiences with God throughout our life. All right? Just look at your life and look for opportunities to build in these experiences. And hopefully you'll have them. Now what we do is we try to, in our culture, we, we try to fix things with stuff. We try to improve their standard of living. We think we'll give them a better education. That'll fix it all. Nothing against education. Nothing against standard of living. But just realize this, that just improving the standard of living, just giving our kids a car to drive, just doing these things will not transfer the faith automatically, all right? Let me give you a case in point. In that same passage of Scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 10, listen to this. And when the Lord, your God, brings you out of the land, swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses you did not, that are all good things that you did not fill, 
with cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, what's going to happen? Be careful. Take care. Lest you forget the Lord. You can get your kids the nicest cars, the nicest clothes, the nicest education, and they can still walk out and forget God. Are you transferring with faith to the next generation? A good quote that I came across this week is, Our children are messengers we send to a world that we will not see. Are we sending our children well into the future? Are we showing them experiences? God has done this, God has done that. If you go on down to verse 20, it says this. This is the way I think we should live. So your son, he asks you. Hopefully you have a good enough relationship that you're, you're talking with your son. He asks you in the time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules of the, of the Lord God commanded you? What does he do? He turns right around and he answers them with an experiential time with God. He says, then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out with his mighty hand. When your children look at your life, do they see the hand of God working in it? You're exemplifying it. You're engraving it. It's more than teaching. It's more than lecturing. It's living it out. Because your children are going to, they're going to pack up one day, and they're going to move out, praise God. You know, they're going (laughs) to move out. But what are they going to take with them? They start packing really early, too. When uh, Every time we would go, moms, you'll be familiar with this, you know, you had your diaper bag constantly, right? Diapers in, then diapers are gone. Handy wipes, Cheerios, sippy cups, toys, blankets, whatever that you need went in this bag. But this is kind of that phase that represents from the very beginning, you begin packing a bag for them through your tones, through your facial expressions. They're learning security. They're learning you're going to meet their needs. They're learning, you know what? You are the closest thing next to God to them during these infancy to three years of old. You are teaching them unconditional love. You are teaching them that even though they misbehave, you're going to be there no matter what. You're the closest thing to God, and their personality is being formed in those very early days. Then there you have the cute years, if you will. And uh, they go through life, and they, they get a little older, and they... they uh, that matches your outfit. That matches my outfit. The, the thing is, at this age, this is when their values are formed. A lot of discipline that takes place. A lot of questions about God. 75% of the people who receive and walk with Jesus Christ for the rest of their life make the decision in these years. How well are you packing their bags? The next year that we're going to call them the courageous years, but it's kind of those high school years. and Could be crazy years. I don't could, know. Get, well, be. yeah, there's probably a lot of words you can give to it. But... Um, this, this is where they, they take that personality, they take those values, and they begin to try on, they begin to try out their identity, okay? So you've got this bag packed and you've got that bag packed, and all of that is coming right into here. And under your supervision and under your authority and under your care, you're allowing them to spread their wings a little bit. They're experiencing a little bit of independence, and they're trying these things out to see how they work for them before they move on to the next phase. When they get to this phase, the reality is, is that all this stuff, goes with them. How they did in the courageous years. Oh, there's my teddy bear. How they're going to do in those early years in forming values and personality. It's all going to go with them. The thing is, if you send them out into this world and that's all you give them, you've given them some experiences. But I do hope that there is one more intentional element that you pack in their bag. 
Because when they get to be about 30 or 35 or 40, they're going to unpack the bag. They may do it as soon as they get married. They may start doing it as soon as they have children. I don't know when it's going to happen for them. But they're going to unpack it, and they're going to look back on life. And if mom and dad were authentic, their life was congruent, they exemplified, they're going to come back to you again. All of a sudden, you're going to have all the wisdom in the world, and they're going to come back to you again. But if you built up barriers and you haven't engraved into them the Christian faith, the values, they haven't seen God work in the family, they're going to just go out into this world and they're going to be missing a tremendous guidebook for life. It's more than a book. It's a relationship. It's more than Ten Commandments. It's about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your might. Would you pray with me? Just bow your heads with me now. This is not a, an attempt and a message to make any parent feel bad. You may be with teenagers, you may be with preschoolers. But it is a, t- it's a wake-up call to make sure as we communicate that we don't just fill their lives with cisterns and homes and cars and then they grow up and they get full and fat and they forget God. Let's make sure the next generation gets the true, authentic, congruent, full, vibrant faith that they need to live on. And the only way they're going to get it, or the best way they're going to get it, is through you and I living it out right here and right now. Lord God, we bow before you now. And we turn this parenting gig back over to you because we can't figure it out. But Lord, it's not as easy as just walking away. We're in the moment. We're in the place. We're we're right here. We're in the teen years. We're in those cute, cuddly years. We're in those those launching years. And I pray that, Lord, when our kids leave, they'll leave with something, something of substance. They'll leave with stories and examples of experiencing you where we stepped out in faith and we took a a challenge the church maybe gave us and we could point back and say, God worked here. We'll raise up a generation of faith movers, courage possessors, Lord, that'll move out in faith and obedience to you. Lord, help us. Help us. We need your help. Right here, right now. Would you stand and would you sing with us? Would you cry out to God for help? Would you celebrate the victories?